Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news, information, and insight. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and today we are going to be looking at just one topic. Joining us again is Andrew Mallison from Fish Think. Um, now, Andrew is exactly the right person that we need to talk to about our next topic. We are going to be looking at eco-labels. My colleague, John Fiorillo, uh, penned a commentary not too long ago raising the age-old issue of whether or not there can be any less confusion in the sustainable seafood uh, eco-labeling um, sector. There are many, many options for, uh, for eco-labels and certification schemes. It's a veritable alphabet soup of, uh, of certification schemes. And Andrew has worked uh, in some of these organizations and certainly has more expertise than most on uh, just how to find your way through this. So he has been kind enough to join us and answer some of these difficult questions. So Andrew, you formerly were, uh, were a retail buyer at, uh, at Marks & Spencer, a UK retailer. Um, and it was around the time where Eco-labels uh, really started to become uh, in, in the zeitgeist um, and retailers and food service companies were coming to grips with what it might mean. But to tell us a bit about that, that time when eco-labels started to become more important and, and how you sort of um, found your way through it. Hi Drew, uh, thanks for uh, having me on the podcast today uh, and, and this certainly is sort of a complicated subject, one that I've struggled with in the past. It doesn't come to anybody, I think, particularly intuitively, but um, yeah, I, starting off with, um, you know, when I was looking after procurement at Marks and Spencer for seafood, um, yeah, as you're saying, uh, eco-labels were entering the consciousness, uh, Marine Stewardship Council being one of the first. And I guess the reception was a bit mixed, uh, obviously welcoming those sort of initiatives to push sustainability and give a bit of clarity to consumers who wanted to make uh, responsible choices. But as a brand owner, as a retailer, you, you're thinking, well, hang on a minute, this logo on my packaging, firstly, it competes for space because every square millimeter or inch is uh, precious when you're designing packaging and sticking a logo from somebody else which maybe is not particularly uh, aligned with your livery and your brand design um, it is a bit ugly to start with takes up some space something's got to be taken off to make room for it uh, also uh, the brand people within a retailer would be thinking, well, why are we promoting someone else's brand here? Why aren't we just building these in the, these values into our own brand uh, portfolio and offer. Uh, why are we sticking this bit, bit of a logo on our packaging? It should be something we build into our own proposition. But of course, it's not always that easy. You know, if you uh, haven't got a, a, an upmarket brand, you haven't invested a lot in the trust agenda as a, as a business, you may be more of a price fighter, um, you're switching your supply around quite a lot. Uh, that sort of indicator, flag, call it what you like, badge of honor, uh, for some retailers is quite useful to say that, yeah, you can trust us, you can trust this product. Um, you might not have thought about it much before, but we're buying this from a trusted source. So, 
mixed feelings. Um, having to deal with it, give up some space, mess up your, your, your packaging <laughs> design. But if it adds value to the consumer, that's really what the, the overriding consideration is going to have to be. So I w we're going to talk about the consumer a little bit later because I think that's one of the largest questions about eco-labels. But um, first off, let, let's sort of put our uh, put ourselves in the shoes of a seafood company or a retail buyer or um, or somebody on the business side. And you know you need a, an eco-label of some sort. It's going to be sort of a, a, a kind of a, a ticket to entry for a lot of retailers and, and for a lot of um, for a lot of food service companies. So where do you begin? I mean, this is just a few of them here. We have the Marine Stewardship Council, MSC. We have the Aquaculture Stewardship Council, ASC. We have Best Aquaculture Practices. We have Friend of the Sea. We have Fair Trade. I could go on, but we'll start there. Where do you even begin if you're trying to get a sense of what you might do to uh, to get your product uh, chain of custody certified or, or which, which uh, labels to, to even deal with? With anything in retail or food service, for that matter, you, you start with your consumer and understand them and work back from that. So what does your consumer worry about? Um, and then you align that with your sourcing. So some of the uh, acronyms you just mentioned are related to wild fish. Some are related to farm fish. So there, there's, you know, a, a starting point. It, is the product you're talking about wild or farm? Uh, what's the, the more appropriate certification? Some aren't applicable, you know, to, to uh, wild or, or farm or crossover. Um, You've then got to understand what is it your your consumer concern, is concerned about. And a lot of these eco labels started off with environmental sustainability. And as you know, there's a lot more to sustainability than just environment. There's social standards, there's uh, economic, although that's less talked about. But more recently, there's animal welfare, uh, how the animals are treated, how fish are treated, and particularly in the farming context. So if your consumer is particularly concerned, let's say about animal welfare, you would be looking for an eco-label that maybe has a little bit more reference and emphasis on animal welfare rather than pure environmental, let's say the Marine Stewardship Council will be mostly about fisheries management and how the environmental impacts of that fishery are, uh, are controlled. So uh, they won't be going into a great deal of animal welfare, so if that's important to your consumer, you may be thinking, well, OK, is that the right way for us to go? So understanding the consumer, what's the consumer worried about, then looking for a scope of the eco label that aligns with the concerns your consumer has. Taking into account the wild or farm thing. So one of the big complaints, uh, certainly within the seafood ind industry itself that I've heard over the years has been, how do I uh, how do I manage to keep up with all this? There's a lot of audits. There's a lot of paperwork. It's it's a it's a big job, uh, and certainly a lot of the larger companies have appointed one, two, or even more people to look after these issues. So one of the the questions that's come up, and it's I know it's not a simple one, um, but is how can is there any way? Uh, do you see any way in the future where there, where the there is some consolidation among eco labels, and there has been some, and there's been MOUs and efforts, but just kind of uh, tell us where that stands right now, and what are the potential problems with that type of approach of having a sort of a single broader label for 
wild, farmed, etc. Yeah, well, and I think that was great uh, point made by John in his article um, that why why can't this uh, be possible? And I'm sure if you talk, I actually put a comment on the uh, against his article saying that I'm sure if you ask any sort of farm manager or fisheries manager uh which they'd prefer they'd rather just go for the single common audit which everybody's happy with you know it, you're right it does take up a lot of time a lot of hosting of auditors a lot of filling in of forms and uh, a lot of overlap and inefficiency so the 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 the, the label to rule them all there isn't one at the moment what there is and this may be like one step away from the label to rule them all is um, GSSI, another acronym for you, uh, Global Seafood Sustainability Initiative. And they assess eco labels. They're a private organization, a nonprofit, and they have a code which they then will visit the eco labels to say, well, how transparent are you? How do you manage your certification decisions? Uh, they look at uh, their their best practice of operating an eco label, and a lot of retailers are now saying, "Well, okay, we're buying globally. We know there's different eco labels in different parts of the world, so we just want somebody who is GSSI compliant, who passes this general standard of being a decent, respectable eco label." So. At the moment, GSSI is not consumer facing, but there has been comment in some quarters if they became consumer facing and if they produced a logo which started to appear on retailers' packs, this would sort of distance, it sort of become a middleman and a filter for a lot of the eco labels. And the eco labels may then be taken off pack in favor of GSSI. Now, this hasn't happened yet, and I'm not sure, I mean, there's a lot of possible implications to this. So a few negative ones I can think of is that a criticism of GSSI, and they do good work, you know, it's great to have that sort of common denominator test to see is this a reputable eco label or not. And that's a big help for a lot of retail buyers and food service buyers. But the criticism is that you don't have to be 100% compliant. You can be, you can just, you can just pass. And I can't remember what their pass rate is, their pass mark is. But there's not an incentive to, to achieve a high score. You can just get by because it's a pass or fail thing. So you'll have some standards who are very rigorous, very thorough, very transparent, and they will come out in the wash as the same pass as a standard that is maybe less rigorous, less intense, less reputable. Uh, so you know you, you do lose a little bit. There's a bit of a downwards pressure on the eco labels themselves if the retailers did just elect to go for gssi as their one label to rule them all so i'm not sure what's going to happen i'm not i don't know what gssi's strategy in long term maybe they have no intention of becoming b2c um, but that's the closest there is at the moment but there's going to be other concerns there there as well correct because uh, a part of, at least with some of the groups, uh, part of their revenue stream is from logo licensing. Um, so that I can see as one issue that the eco labels would push uh, push back against. And the other one, as you said, is that that kind of race to the bottom. And I think there's 
over the years, um, I, yeah, I won't ask you to, to name names, but over the years, there's been a lot of finger pointing at, at um, some eco labels of saying, hey, well, that's not really a, a rigorous standard, um, but you can put it on your pack and it says, well, I'm, I'm uh, uh, sustainable. And, um, you know, it, it seems like everyone would kind of rush to the lowest common denominator there to save costs. Um, would they not? Or would you see that um, retailers would still and seafood companies would still choose to go for, um, for a, a standard that's more robust? Yeah, this is where you start going down the rabbit hole. <laughs> you, you have different levels of uh, complexity of standards. And, um, and uh, yet another bit of alphabet soup, ICEAL, I-C-I-S-E-A-L, and I, I can't even remember what that all stands for, but essentially they are the group that produces best practice for eco-labels. So the MSC are in that, the ASC are in that, uh, Forestry Stewardship Councils there, uh, Rainforest Alliance, I think also. It's outside, it's not just seafood, it's, it's other standards as well. And they are a standard setting community and they try to define best practice for standard setting. So not all of the seafood eco labels are part of ICEAL. They don't sign up to the ICEAL codes of practice. They're not compliant with the ICEAL codes of practice. So there's a bit of a difference for you uh, in the, the rigor, if you like, of, of a particular standard. They, they do vary one to one, uh, but that also has impacts on cost. So uh, where the retailer goes in their choice of an eco label is going to be a number of things. It's going to be partly, as I said earlier, about what they want to deliver to the consumer in terms of assurance. And if they want to start talking about, well, we are working with this scheme and we chose it because it is the best. It is ICL compliant. It, it meets all these codes of practice. If they can then educate the consumer to think, you know, so they understand what exactly that means. Great. Um, they may decide that they don't want to make that investment. Uh, it's like buying insurance. You know, when you insure your car or your house, how big uh an excess or a deductible, depending on what your language is and markets, do you go for and have a lower premium in return? So you are buying an eco label to give you brand value, to help your trust message as your and your marketing, but also to insure yourself against negative issues like some sort of environmental impact, being accused of taking illegal or overfished species uh, to being in the gun sites of an NGO maybe who is particularly active. So there's a bit of um, insurance needed or, or taken into account as well. And some of those eco labels will have a better quality of insurance or cover, <laughs> if, I, if I can call it that, than others. So it is difficult and the retailer does need quite an in-depth knowledge to understand the differences, because you don't change eco label like changing your shirt. You, you put it on your packaging, you've made a design commitment, you really want to be committed for five years or more to a particular eco label. You can't just shop around like a commodity. Uh, you need to partner with one, have one that's going to understand your future strategy and sourcing and be able to give you certified products from the regions 
that you're buying from and the species that you want to stock. So there's definitely a partnership approach needed, but you pay your money, you take your choice, really. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's just been so much fragmentation compared with um, several years ago when kind of the MSC came to the fore. Um, you know, again, now there's there's so many different schemes out there. And does it concern you with that dilution? I mean, one of the things I've, I've seen just to shift a bit toward the consumer side of things now, but... One of the things that I see doing my own shopping and just looking at in retail stores around the world, you you see a lot of just labels that say sustainably caught or that say, you know, from a, you know, from a healthy fishery. And there's not really a lot of regulation on language uh, in any country or, or any regions in the EU or in the United States. There's really not, as far as I'm aware, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's no language saying you can't use uh, the term that, that guide the term sustainable. I know there was a lawsuit recently that was uh, that uh, movie, the world's largest salmon farmer settled. Uh, there was a small uh, small company that that uh, brought a suit, a class action suit uh, over their use of the term sustainable. Uh, I believe it was, or or harmoniously raised, or something along those lines. And Marine Harvest, uh, or sorry, movie settled, um, which says that they didn't think it was worth their time. They settled for I think around a million dollars, which says they were also a bit nervous. But does that concern you that there are just logos everywhere? Because you just flip over any pack of seafood, uh, and and there's going to be some logo, whether or not they actually have any certification. Yeah, I, I, I think it has been diluted. Um, uh, retailers, have some have just slapped it on the back of a frozen bag because they've got a bit of space there and they don't really do much to educate the consumers to what it means and why it's there. Uh, maybe, because, well, maybe because of their own sort of internal uh, lack of resource or, or, or whatever. Let's say it's a complicated subject and you really almost have to hire people to understand this. I mean, there are some retailers who have specialists in certification and they go into an enormous amount of detail and really put the eco labels and the standard setters through the through the hoop to say, well, why are you doing this and what does that mean? But uh, to your point about dilution, I, I think it's definitely a problem. Uh, I think there is confusion about there is a voluntary agreement to should eco labels call themselves sustainable or responsible. Uh, and that's another rabbit hole we can go down if you if you have the time. Um, but it's all voluntary. There was a uh, a voluntary agreement um, made about which you know what the the ratings you know the traffic light people like Seafood Watch um, how they talk about what they mean when they give a particular rating compared to a certification which is site specific rather than a region which is how the ratings work. So uh, yeah, it, it is it is a minefield, and I think the uh, retail retailers have done well to put this in front of the consumer. You know, the consumer has a much greater awareness of sustainability uh, than they had you know, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, great, you know, that, that's fantastic progress. It then gets a bit murky because. The eco labels will produce surveys to say that, OK, well, here's the recognition, here's the awareness, here's the difference in purchasing it makes. But 
as we all know, consumer groups tend to sometimes say what they're going to do and then behavior actually in the store can be rather different because they're in a hurry. They just pick something up, they throw it in their cart and off they go. Uh, are they shopping for an eco label? Probably not. They're looking for what a, a product that they like. It happens to have an eco label on. Great. You know, all the better. Um, if there's one next to it, which is a bit cheaper and doesn't have an eco label on it, which one they, which one they going to buy? That that puts another sort of set of uh, price hierarchy and decision drivers into their minds. But it, it's it, it, more work is needed to educate the consumer to say, here's what it means. Here's, if you buy this product, here's what it means. You're securing your future of this fish product. You're helping workers get better standards. You're helping animal welfare, you, you're rewarding good practice. And I think that's the message that doesn't sometimes come across so much. You know, if you buy this, you're rewarding somebody for doing it right. And buying it again and again and again continues that reward. Hmm. And I, yeah, that's a really good point because it does seem like, um, it does seem like that connection with uh, who is on the other end of the supply chain has become more important. And I would argue that that the pandemic has made that, uh, has played a role in that because I think we've all been more aware of how sourcing works because the supply chains broke down. Um, maybe people were purchasing more locally or, or however their behavior changed, but it does seem um, that there is a bit more awareness of, hey, there's people on the other end of the supply chain. Um, so that's a really interesting move that uh, maybe eco labels would start taking. You see it a lot on coffee, for example. Uh, you see it, you know, in um, kind of other food items that they're they're doing that more. Um, so you you mentioned uh, you mentioned um, you know retailers and and uh, earlier on retailers and seafood companies. Their initial concerns were uh, how an eco label. Uh, competed with their own brand and you know w when we're looking at whether or not we it, it makes more sense to have a con consumer facing eco label or uh, b2b uh, uh, have this all be in the background essentially i mean is there a risk or some resistance uh to essentially exporting the notion of sustainability outside of, of your brand. Let's say you're a retailer, you know, shouldn't a consumer walking into that particular retailer assume that the seafood that's all there has not, <laughs> it's not been sourced from slave labor or has not been uh, caught from an unsustainable fishery? Yeah, absolutely. And back in the day, this was Marks and Spencer's uh, a, a attitude that every person, every consumer walking through the door of a Marks and Spencer food store should be able to buy in confidence, knowing that everything in that store meets their expectations for, you know, trust, responsible procurement, all, all the rest of it. Um, and in fact, um, an eco label, I won't mention which one, uh, was put on a product, um, sales didn't go up, eco labels taken off. Sales didn't go down. Uh, there was a bit of to and fro before it became policy, you know, for, for across the business. To, uh, the use of eco labels, it was a bit more local. These decisions, product by product. Um, so it, it's hard for the retailer to 
to to to, to decide. Um, and like, you really have they really have to make a commitment to what does their brand stand for. And I think as a brand owner, you inevitably try and invest in your own brand rather than somebody else's. So I, I can see we're going to be stuck with this this confusion for a little while yet. So just back to the the idea of of um, you know the example you gave of the logo being on a pack and off a pack and and not impacting uh, sales that much. So as you know, as you said, there's been a lot of reports released uh, over the years, uh, recent ones from ASC and MSC saying that um, that certification can actually bring you more money. Can back into the water, it can bring fishermen or seafood companies uh, more of a return to carry those, and that's been a really, really big uh, effort and challenge. Uh, because as as uh, as we discussed, it does cost money to go through the certification process. Um, so, uh, do you do you feel like there? I mean, just just w- walk through um, that process of of convincing fisheries and uh, fish farmers why they should do this. I mean, is is that an argument when because you've been on the other side of this table, both sides of the table? But is that an argument that you uh, that that is is used in part of that you know justification of getting people to 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 join a particular scheme? And does it does it hold water? I guess it depends where you are in the chain. Uh, I I think if you talk to farmers uh, or fishermen or fishermen women, um, you would find few who said that they had a premium as a result. I think um, one exception may be fair trade. So fair trade has had some success in getting a premium back to the primary producer uh, because they put that's what they're 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 getting you know they're all about is getting a, a, a fair price for the farmer. Um, I think the other eco labels whilst you, you you would find at a retail level there isn't a great premium charged for uh, a, the sustainable alternative. The, the, the problem is an un-eco-labeled product doesn't mean to say it's not sustainable. It may be perfectly good. It may be perfectly well managed or perfectly well farmed. It just hasn't gone through the certification route. So if you have two products side by side, one has an eco-label and one doesn't, it wouldn't be right to say the un-eco-labeled alternative is no good or inferior in some way. It just hasn't been through the certification process. So, uh, and if it did, it may pass. It may be fantastic. So it's hard to set a value difference at the consumer level with an eco label on the product. So suddenly claim it's going to be, you remember there's a big uh, hoo-ha about organic, you know, it was a, a third markup and people thought it was overpriced and what are you getting for the money? Well, uh, on eco labels, it that hasn't really happened because it's been harder to understand the difference between an, a, a, a product that carries an eco label and one that doesn't. There is certainly cost to be covered by somebody in the value chain. And are, if there, even if there is a bit of a premium charge at the market end, I don't think much of that gets back to the farmer or the fisher. Uh, the big benefit is market access. So it's a bit of a negative argument. 
really that if you didn't do the certification, you may find you would struggle to gain access to certain Western markets. Now, I say that very carefully because, of course, a big concern to the sustainability community is how much product is going to go into markets which don't care at the moment anyway about sustainability. Uh, Asian markets, China, for example, it doesn't have the same awareness and demand for eco-labels that others do. Maybe that'll change over time, but it's um, that market access point is usually the main driver of a decision to get certified. So uh, let's clear something up because uh, I've heard this so many times over the years and um, there's a lot of cynics that that, um, uh, that, that, that say this about eco-labels. Eco-labels, uh, when you get this argument that eco-labels are essentially pay for play, that you're paying to get that market access, how do you parry that or, or what is your, just give me your, your take on that. I'm sure you've heard it many, many, many times too. Well, there's, there's a degree of truth there. Um, since all of the big retailers, and let's just take one as an example, Walmart, made commitments to buying certified seafood, all the suppliers who would wish to supply to, to, to have business with Walmart thought, oh, okay, well, we'd better get certified. Um, that's really what tipped the balance for the Marine Stewardship Council, uh, getting that support from the retail retailers to say, okay, and this sort of falls into a discussion about should eco labels be B2B or B2C. Um, that's been the whole mechanism. You get the consumer stroke retailer to start wanting a certified product and then the market end of the value chain pressures the supply side to get certified the supply side probably some maybe some maybe would have done it off their own bat out of a you know feeling of altruism or wishing to demonstrate that they're uh, better and different to others but many would not have gone down that route unless they felt it was what their customer wanted. And I say customer rather than consumer, because now we're in the in the B2B bit of the value chain the, on the supply side into the big uh, food service and retailers who are wanting now as a matter of policy to have assurance about certification and not just about sustainability. It's also giving them protection, as I mentioned, some sort of insurance. They don't want to have illegal fish coming into their value chains. They don't they want to have traceability and if you have certification it tends to bring a level of traceability which helps you manage product recalls and all sorts of other issues to do with your procurement so uh, there's a bit of a bundled effect and uh, benefits to having that in your buying policy uh, but yeah it, it's a uh, it's going to be uh, an ongoing conversation about well what is the benefit to a particular fishery to go and to get certified and recertified and recertified because obviously they have to keep doing this now they have to uh, uh, and you could say a fishery said well okay nothing's changed why would we get recertified mr retailer why would we have all this extra cost nothing has changed we were certified last year we're still as good as we ever were do you really want us to have all that cost but now it's in the retailer policy that they have to maintain that that certification. So the onus then comes back onto the schemes, the standards and the eco labels who are drawing money from the market, 
not a lot you know it's it's not exactly as though it's it's a rape and pillage but there is a cost there uh how are they going to invest in their futures how are they going to improve their service are they just going to go and keep like applying a tax basically to a fishery or a farm which is every year every two years three years whatever the cycle is having to pay this pay the sum again to be re-audited and signed up again um or is that money going to be reinvested back in now people like the marine stewardship council have got i think it's, they call it their oceans fund and they are doing that they are taking money from their revenue and they're putting it into funds to help innovation to help startups to help uh, improve programs and so on and i think if i was a retailer i would be looking for a scheme that had a commitment to say not i'm not i'm not just going to sit here once i've done the work got somebody up to standard have it certified just keep billing them every couple of years for another certificate i want to see what you're going to do to improve you're supposed to be a non-profit you're supposed to be maybe a charity what are you doing about the longer term as a standard for the people with you know what are you doing with that money that you're taking for, for certification so what just to sort of wind it up uh, what what do you think is the or what are uh, the next things that consumers are going to want to see in terms of certifications in terms of uh, assurances on the products that they purchase um, both from a fishery standpoint but also just in general are there more eco labels or, or more requirements that are going to be coming down the the pike that'll add even more letters to the alphabet to these certifications uh, that's a great question we used to talk about the the cub scouts jersey you know the the sleeve of a cub scout you have all these badges <laughs> for building campfires and tying knots and things you know what what's the next eco label to come along um i sincerely hope that the existing labels will be flexible enough to incorporate extensions into their standard as sustainability evolves you know we will talk about sustainability being a direction not a destination so right now climate is the big thing so how uh, much impact on climate is a particular fishery or fish farm operation having how well are they managing their greenhouse gas emissions for example now that should become a part of the existing standard you shouldn't have to go and get another eco label on your pack to say yet yeah, we're climate certified uh, so I, I i see people like the aquaculture stewardship council doing great work to try and set up methodology on greenhouse gas emissions and that's the sort of thing that the other standards should be doing not just saying okay well, all we do is environmental impact yeah but environmental impact is like the layers of an onion it, it's it's getting bigger we need you to keep up with the expectations of the market because sustainability is not a set scope it's growing and refining over time and the standards have to keep up with that Andrew, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Always, always informative. We are welcome. It's been a pleasure. Well, that's it for this episode of the Interfish Podcast. Thanks for joining us, folks. Remember that you can find us 24-7 on interfish.com, where we've got news, insight, analysis, and everything you might need to know about the state of the seafood, aquaculture, fisheries, and aquatech industries. Thanks again for joining us. 